Bearding Way Media. Mm, man, dig that crazy chick. of the Feminine Critique, number 159, confirmed by me checking that before we started recording. I'm Emily, with me as always. Uh, oh, Christine, I was going to just introduce myself. You know, hello, I'm Christine. If we ever had like a smooth, clean uh, intro, I feel like that's the day that Skype and call recorder crash and it's not meant to be because this is how we roll. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm Christine. Hello. The, the one and only, the best. Uh, and, and I have the pleasure of, of doing a podcast with her. How lucky am I, everybody? Even oh, luckier stop. today. Even luckier because it is not just me and Christine. Instead, you have the dulcet tones of one of our favorite people. He is a writer. He is a thinker. He is a mover and a shaker and a great uh, eater. I'm going to say that, too. Uh, he a is rack on tour. <laughs> All of those things and more. <laughs> The one and only Keith Allison. Hi there. I, although actually, hi there. I feel yeah. with dulcet tones, <laughs> dulcet. I should maybe, I should, I should bring it down. I'm gonna like add some reverb level. to your voice. Just, just oh, you know, excellent. I'll do that. Yeah, excellent. yeah, yeah. Remember. And you know what? In terms of of clean intros, uh, I listen to Conan O'Brien's podcast, and they get paid to do that, and they've never had a clean intro. I don't know if that makes me feel better or angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, Keith, thank you for joining us on this Super Bowl Sunday edition of the Feminine Critique. It is my pleasure. I, I have you know you I picked football down. movies, right, Keith? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like there's at least one of these movies has characters who probably play football. So, uh, uh, okay, <laughs> one of them does. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Billie Jean uh, certainly does. I'm gonna say. Psycho 2, maybe uh, it has characters that would watch the Puppy Bowl. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, really, who do you want to spend time with at the end of the day? Well, and both come from an era when it was perfectly common and acceptable for men to wear those little football half shirts. True. So. True. Um, How do we feel about that? Do we want that era coming back or are we... Yes. Okay. Okay. I think, we, I think we, so. we used to be a society. <laughs> <laughs> It's just I like... have a, I have a long rambling, uh, rant slash speech. I can go on on uh, the transition from '80s where men would still wear uh, what we back then called shorts mm. and what are now called short shorts. Ooh, yes. And and half tees and all of this. And then at some point, this this like gay panic or I'm yeah. too feminine panic kicks in. Uh, and all of that ends. It, and... uh, on one hand, it's it's a very good point. You, you make an excellent point that there is something very homophobic about being afraid of that clothing. On the other, I want to say, um, I if uh, short shorts, uh, I'm sorry, chafing, chafing. Every time I see a man or a woman wearing short shorts, I just think, even 
even though it was with really good thighs, there is a danger of chafing and it just doesn't look comfortable to me. Same thing with half shirts. I think two things. One, I have to really hope that they are sunscreening properly because you're going to get a really weird tan otherwise. <laughs> and the other thing, and I don't know if you, you guys both feel, the, the, feel this way. I don't like parts of my skin that don't normally get touch public spaces to touch public spaces. So that always like, imagine wearing a, sh- a half shirt, football shirt and going to the movies and sitting down in a movie theater on a movie theater bucket seat that has been touching strangers all day long and probably has popcorn stuck to it. And all of that is just oozing into your sweaty, uh, exposed midriff every which direction. Does that not bother you guys? I have, I have a friend whose main issue with short shorts, which one I'm going to go on record. I'm all for them uh, and, and will wear them frequently. I'm all but for looking at people in them. But. Hers is is the back of like the lower half of your thigh touching a, a New York subway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they clean the trains, right? They clean the trains. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now they do. <laughs> now they do. Uh, they did not for a very long time. It was weird to, for during the early days of COVID to walk on the subway and be like, what is that smell? What the hell is that smell? I've never smelled it before and realized it was like cleaning solution. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been good because it's New York Fashion Week, so I'm glad we're getting oh, some yes. fashion talk in. Yeah, I mean, these things will come back. Christine, where do you stand on? I mean, I know you're all in favor of the look, but the actual skin touching things, you're cool with that? Like with my bare skin touching things? Like, would you wear a football half shirt and short shorts <laughs> and ride the New York subway and go to a movie theater? I, I, uh, if I could just slip into a potato sack at any given time, I would probably just do that. So my answer to that is absolutely not. I'm not wearing anything. But you would admire watching people. Yeah. All black fabric head to toe, not Mm. on an inch of skin showing. That's, that's where I'm at. I also (laughs) guarantee you that here at New York fashion week, somewhere on the runway right now, someone is debuting an outfit that is (laughs) basically just an all black <laughs> you heard oh, it here yeah. first, folks. We're ahead of our time. My time is now. <laughs> Damn, your time is always, Christine. Uh, on speaking of timeliness, let's let's talk about the movies we're covering today. Both uh, legendary movies in in very different ways from the same era. I don't remember the connecting thread between the two. Um, but Keith, as our guest, announce what they are. These these were your picks eventually. So the the connecting thread was. Uh, I'll start with the first one. First film, The Legend of Billie Jean. Uh, and I just, honestly, I, I was listening to a mixtape and the Pat Benatar song Invincible came mm-hmm. on, which is a fantastic song. Uh, and it made me think fondly back to this movie. And for whatever reason, maybe just because I love the both of you, I was like, I would love to talk about this movie with Emily and Christine. Oh. Uh, and so I pitched it. You said yes. And then mm-hmm. idea of, well, what's the second movie? And for me, I figured since I've been on here before and didn't talk about horror films, that I was like, let me come up with a horror film. Um, and I came up with Night of the Comet, which, of course, you've already done. Um, oh, and we both are huge fans. That would have yes. actually made a very logical pairing. It makes a logical pairing. But then I was, you know, that had already been covered. So I was thinking, well... Just a horror film from the 80s. Let's let's stay with the 1980s. Maybe something that was popular at the time and a little bit forgotten. And then I just happened to be in a, a conversation with someone about how uh, we really need to get people talking about Psycho 2. 
left. Again, so the second film, Psycho 2, the 22-year in the making uh, mm-hmm. sequel to uh, a film some people may have heard of, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, although it'd be in the 80s. It's not Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho 2. And it's also not Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho 2. Or what's, what's the author's name? Robert Block? Robert Block. Yeah, Robert although Block. there is a funny story about his involvement in Psycho 2. Oh, yes. So we're going to dive into all of that. Uh, and we're going to do reverse order. We're going to start with Psycho 2. Uh, we're going to go... I, I'm going to say this is a movie that if you haven't seen it, please watch it. It's really twisty. There are m- some great reveals and some great plot things that are you are better off going into unfamiliar. So we will spoil because I think we just need to talk through all of it. So if you haven't seen it, we're going to give plot threads away. So we would recommend watching it beforehand. It's streaming on Apple or you could go back in time like I did like 15 years ago and find one DVD set that had Psycho 2, 3, and 4 all on there and buy that for like five ninety nine. That's what I would recommend, but um, a little harder probably to do. There's also I, – so I have Roku and there's those – the uh, bottom of the list – channels oh yes that you can get through roku and there's one called fossum Ooh, i've uh, heard of that and one it's, and so psycho 2 is streaming for free sweet there with co- with some commercials but nice. it's, it's there for your use Ooh, and i'm angry because um i'm one of those people kind of like most of us people now these days where i sat down and i knew i was gonna watch this but i thought to myself uh before i get up and like bend down and get the DVD out of its case and plug in my DVD player because I have to unplug it because it's possessed and otherwise turns my TV on at different times at night. Uh, let me see if it's streaming so I don't have to actually do that physical labor. And it it didn't come up. It only came up as rentable on um, Apple TV. So justwatch.com, get your act together. Fossum is there and you're not, you're not pulling it. So I don't like that. Christine, how did you watch it? I rented it. Okay, okay. I... I should probably own it at this point, but mm-hmm. I just I just rented it. Um, uh, I have a complex relationship with this movie, Ooh, oh, so okay. I didn't. <laughs> I, I don't know that I wanted it in my house. <laughs> oh, oh, how exciting! Or oh, do we but, have like yeah. different different sides so, of the coin? Such here? a thematic relationship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> no, I get uh, it. Yeah, yeah. So should we do a synopsis of this of this puppy? Please. Again, spoilers. Uh, Do it. Yeah, spoilers. spoilers. So this is like in the future of the of the happenings of Psycho. It's uh, later on. Uh, Twenty two uh, years. Yeah, everybody's all grown up. Um, so basically, Norman's getting released from whatever institution he has been put in, um, and uh, Vera Miles, who is the sister of Marion Crane is there and she's angry and she doesn't want him released, which I mean, look, I get, I guess, but, um, she goes a little too far with it in my Mm -hmm. opinion. So, so Norman goes back to the house in the hotel and he just wants to like live a normal life and stuff. And he meets the beautiful vivacious Meg Tilly at his new job. And she's great and wonderful and the most beautiful woman alive. And they have a really strange relationship. And Mm -hmm. then weird stuff starts happening at the house. Um, people, start going missing or getting killed and then who's dressing up as mother who's calling norman is norman crazy again it was norman ever crazy who knows um and then yeah people are awful to him and mean to him and it's not his fault 
Hashtag justice for Norman. <laughs> until the until the final beat where where Norman and that yeah. but that was completely justified. That was completely justified. Ooh, okay. Well, explain what happens because again, we're we're spoiling. It's okay. okay. I didn't. All right, I didn't know how in depth we. Oh, go to for get. it. This way, if somebody's okay. like, "Oh, I'm not going to watch it," I'll just listen to them talk. They have context for what's going on. So this this movie, I think, to to me, honestly, is a little too twisty to the point where it's almost a little convoluted um but asterisk emily disagrees Um, we'll get back to that keep going but i just think i i don't mean like for enjoyment wise i just think for like pacing and story it's just a lot that starts to get a little muddled because we're not ever i don't really think it's it's tough because for a while we're not really sure what's happening and to me that hurts the enjoyment Mm, like if i'm in the dark for too long and start to get confused then i don't know if i want to continue to do work for your movie but like i don't know if it ever really dipped into that but it got close a couple times because what is happening is vera miles is obviously kind of unhappy and like stalking norman to a degree but meg tilly is her daughter and they're in it together to try to i guess them they're they want to just prove that norman's crazy or, or do they want to set him up i'm not really i guess they want to set him up or they want to drive him over the edge that to me that motivation is a little muddled but i guess it doesn't matter because vera miles is upset about her sister um and so there's all these murders and you think it's norm then you think it's Meg Tilly and Vera Miles doing it. And then, oh, it's not Norman. It was them. And then Meg Tilly gets shot. So she can't say what really happened. And Vera Miles ends up dead. Mm-hmm. But And then the whole time, Norman's like, but mother's on the phone. And she's not right. Mother wasn't my real mother. And I have, and I guess, yes, it, it is a big retcon that mother from right. Psycho was not his real mother. It was his aunt. And his real mother is a lady that had problems of her own and uh-huh. just showed back up in town and waited for Norman to get out of prison. And then he hits her with a shovel and kill. Well, he poisons her and then he hits her with a shovel and she deserved it, honestly. <laughs> well, and, and she, she was a murderer. I mean, she, she killed, she, uh, it, it, that is, and you make a good point because I can't remember who, who kills who in this movie. She, yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. Right? Mrs. Spool kills Lila. Right, she kills Vera Miles. Yeah, she yeah. kills the. Does she kill the um, guy that sneaks into the teenager, or is that Lila doing that to set up Norman? I think that's Lila. That's, she kills the I, teenagers. She kills a teenager. Yeah, uh, one only, I think. Right, I don't think both yeah. die. Wait, so oh, who yeah, does she kills the boy? Does the Lila boy. kill anybody? Yeah, the girl gets away. I don't think she actually kills anyone. Okay, so to Christine's point, it is confusing what they're exactly trying to do. Yeah, and I think that that hurts it a little bit because I think there's there's something really like big there right. about this like this this wronged woman's desire to get justice on her own terms. And I don't disagree with that. I think that's really interesting because while I think Norman is a sweet little baby that never did anything wrong in his life, uh, I do understand that he did kill Marion Crane, who was an innocent woman who didn't deserve to die. Right, so I do understand that her sister would still be very upset about this. Um, and I think that that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I almost wish it was just that. Because, because I, I, well, well, I do think the retcon stuff is interesting and introducing a new, mm. like, really bad character is interesting, like a true villain. I, I just, yeah. yeah, it gets to be a, a lot happening. Yeah. It was especially twisty for me because Psycho 2 was on 
cable TV when I was growing up all the time. And then once Psycho 3 came out, that was on cable TV all the time. So I watched both of them a lot. Oh, yeah. And what I remembered about Psycho 2 was he gets out and and Meg Tilly is in it. Uh, and Psycho 3 has someone with <laughs> blonde hair. In it. It's but Diana almost, Scarwid, but with the same yeah. – it was a different hair color, but the same haircut. Yeah. But almost everything I thought happened in Psycho 2 uh, is three. apparently is in Psycho 3 and, and vice versa. I thought Psycho 3 was the one where, like, they were scamming Norman – I thought Psycho 2 was the one where <laughs> Anthony Perkins is smirking while a cop eats uh, ice out of an ice machine with a body in it. Uh, <laughs> that's all Psycho 3. Yeah. So it was kind of fun because it was both uh, a film I knew intimately and a film I had completely gotten wrong. Nice. Uh, so I think that there is some there. I think I, I agree that it's like maybe it's a little a little too twisty for its own good from time to time but i had so confused myself anyway uh waiting for that cop to eat the bloody piece of ice uh <laughs> that that was like oh, i'm just going to i'm just going to sit back and enjoy uh what's coming um and then i think i i i, I convinced myself that the whole time robert logia was the one killing people another uh, which doesn't come out anywhere he he is in the in psycho 2 as uh norman psychiatrist but uh i think i just wanted to i think really i just wanted a finale where robert logia bust into a scene wearing like a dress and a wig yeah uh, and i'm your i'm your mother norman (laughs) (laughs) instead we get meg tilly in the little outfit and it's it's yeah i it this was my second time watching it i watched um two, three, and four, maybe about a year or two ago for the first time. I had I'd seen Psycho a lot growing up, but I had never seen any of the sequels. And when I watched it last year or the year before, whenever, what is time, for me it was, a, it was a really an exciting discovery. Because I had heard, I knew some people really liked it, um, but it was like I knew nothing going in. And it, it, to me, it's a movie that is full of really fun surprises the first time around. Because you have little Meg Tilly, you have Dennis Franz in, in my favorite, the best role of, of the Psycho universe. So the the first note I took watching <laughs> this movie is Dennis Franz is such an ace scumbag. He's so good. <laughs> he is just, he's got the open collar polyester shirt and the long hair, but he's already balding. So you know it's not going to age well. And he is kind of, if it helps Keith... He is sort of um, the Jeff Fahey role in part three. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? See, what I really, like, I remember Dennis Franz, but I always remember him doing everything that Jeff, Jeff Fahey, Fahey does. does. So you're like, oh, we're going to get a sex scene with Dennis Franz in this movie. And we don't, sadly. <laughs> Nudity, no. Uh, but now the first time I watched this, it was one of those, like, jaw-dropping a few times. Like, I suspected one character, but not the other character. And then I didn't, as soon as, like, the end thing starts happening, I'm like, oh, oh, I I get it now. Um, But as soon as I sat down to rewatch it, I was like, I remember Meg Tilly isn't, and Lila are working together. Something else happens, I don't So it it was even that, that the plot itself hadn't fully stuck in my head. And that might have also been because I watched three and then four fairly close after two. And I can't remember the retcon, how that's handled going forward, because in part four is a, um, which is not good. Part three is fun, I think. Part three is like, 
trying to figure out how to make Psycho into a teen slasher in a way. Yeah. Uh, whereas part four is a, is McGarris and it's trying to do a flashback, but it's it, it's just not very. I I did not. I don't think four is very good at all. And but four is very much about the relationship between Norman and Norma. And I can't remember if she is still his mother in that or his or his aunt, but I think she's still. I think they like retcon it again. I could be wrong, but yeah, um, yeah I can say I like that there's the actual twist. I don't know so much of what it does to like Psycho as a legacy. Um, but yeah. let me ask both of you: What is your experience, and kind of where do you hold Psycho, the first movie, in your hearts? Um, I I believe that. Psycho is one of the best movies ever made. I think it's probably, I mean, it's super hack, but it's probably my favorite Hitchcock. I'm not a huge mm-hmm. Vertigo person, yeah, and that same. tends to be, like, the dividing line, <laughs> like, where you kind of fall. I, I, I just, I prefer Psycho. I think Psycho's amazing. I've seen it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I would like to get a Psycho tattoo at some point. It, it truly is, it's it's what I base, I mean, Tarantino's whole thing is he just wants to do Psycho. He wants to misdirect you. He wants you to think a movie is about a thing and then do another thing, mm-hmm. like From Dust Till Dawn. It's my favorite story structure. It is, and again, super hack. Oh, I just want, I want everything to be Psycho. I want everything to start off one way and mm. actually reveal that it's about something else sure <laughs> so it's it is it is the mold it is the it is the the, the thing and it, it it's not my my most unique take but I, I love it and and i think that part of the reason why people may or may not enjoy the sequels is because they believe it's treading on greatness mm-hmm. but that's a really limiting way to look at it because i mean anthony perkins is still involved so like yeah you should look at this, the character, we, we, we get more time with this character and that's like a gift. So you should just accept the gift and, and appreciate these weird uh, of their time kind of products. Uh, so I, I love it all. I think it's all great. It's, it might be, uh, in my opinion, the, one of the best horror franchises. I, I like just that period. Pool. I like that pool. <laughs> yeah. I... Because the first one is one of the best movies ever made. Right? Sure. Like, yeah. so even if the second one is just, okay like if you're going on average <laughs> it's like oh, the I mean, hey, cumulatively if you take these f- i guess technically five movies if you want to depending on how you define franchises um and if you lo- here's the thing if you're doing psycho one through four as one thing i think it's still better than the halloween franchise yeah if you're doing psycho one yeah. to four plus the remake i think it's probably eh, you know what it's still probably better than halloween as a franchise if you're doing psycho one through four plus the remake plus bates motel i'm talking about the one from recent years i know there was one in the 80s i never saw it the the new bates motel is a show that i love and will vouch yep. for now i'm saying you are like just under nightmare on elm street territory but, that, but i i think yeah for real because i think pound for pound when it's being when it's being played with in these different time periods i think most of the time people understand the characters and the yeah. thrust in the universe so you get these these strange versions of it that you may or may not connect to but i think they're still really in the spirit of of the original story and i think this is in the spirit of the original story i like the the analogs the like it's not like a shot for shot remake we already got that but it's you the, like the different pulling the car out of the out of the out of the lake yeah like you get that but like the things that you the mirroring is really interesting yeah. the way that it's employed. And I appreciate it. I didn't feel like it was just like trying to get us to clap for something we recognize. I think sure. it was employed really thoughtfully. Yeah. Keith, what's your um, relationship with the original Psycho? 
Eh, it's all right. <laughs> uh, no, I I agree. It's a fantastic movie. Um, you know, when when naming your favorite Hitchcock film, you all like. I feel like there's a a need to to be contrary and be like, I think Topaz. <laughs> Uh, but I'm always for in terms of Hitchcock. I, I actually I always lean a little bit more toward his his kind of adventure movies. So North by Northwest is my favorite. The thing is, I saw Psycho probably when when I was seven or eight because mm-hmm. uh, one it was the 1970s uh, <laughs> and two my my mom liked horror films, so she didn't have any issue with me watching them at an early age. Um, and you know it's fun. That's not really a movie to watch when you're when you're seven or eight not because it's scarring but just because you're not mean depending on your household you're gonna pick up you know you're not gonna really pick up what's 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 going on yeah uh so i and then psycho 2 came out when i was 10 um and so really it's the psycho that i remembered and, and knew more yeah uh and when i got older uh you know, because back then you could only watch a movie by the grace of of what was on TV. Um, so when I was older and rewatched Psycho, uh, I really loved it. But everything that happens in it, I think, was informed by this uh, mm. much more sympathetic, much more complex portrayal of Norman that you get in Psycho too. Um, so I kind of went at them uh, backwards. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, yeah, but I, I I agree with Christine entirely that this is Psycho Two, especially when it came out, really bore the weight of you know, the how dare they sort sure. of you know mentality of making making a sequel to a bona fide classic that ends in such a good way. It's such a, a frightful ending and such a fantastic ending. Uh, why carry the story on? Um, but I think. The, the choices that they make of referencing but not replicating mm. uh, the original or bringing, hinting that something like the original is going to happen and then using that to sort of spin off uh, in a different direction, not just to be, you know, smart aleck about it, but the direction they go, they go off and really makes a lot of sense. Uh, and it remembers certain things that sometimes I think people don't remember about Hitchcock films, which is like, they're they're always kind of funny, and Psycho Two definitely has a sense yes. of humor, uh, and they're always a little bit sleazy, or a lot of them are, and Psycho Two is a little bit sleazy. Uh, so yeah, it's weird right now. Like Psycho and Psycho Two are so wrapped up in me because I was really coming at them at the same time. Yeah, that's that's fascinating to think of. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a bad analogy would be the way probably like the new generation has grown up with Anakin Skywalker of prequels, Anakin to then Darth Vader, but that there is that, that sense of, yeah, if you, if psycho two was your intro to Norman Bates, he is, I mean, he is the hero of this film. He is the victim. And I think in some ways uh, that character could be, probably even more of a victim if this movie was made 10 years later, 20 years later, just because that sort of like, um, what do you call it? That kind of like uh, mob mentality of, well, this man is crazy and he's a murderer, so he can never change. The sort mm-hmm. of way that we treat um, people who are who are mentally ill or who have done something, and that whole question of rehabilitation. 
Um, it is, I mean, I have thankfully never had to think about whether I could forgive somebody who murdered somebody I love. Uh, but that if you're coming at this without Psycho, you are seeing him as a man who paid his dues, who has worked, who's been working on himself, who comes out and he is still trying from the very beginning, trying so hard and everything's stacked against him so quickly um, that you're right by the end when he does that turn, you're like, you know what? You do you, Norman. You do you. If this is the path you need, if you need to stuff another mother and have her in your attic, that, that's I, I forgive you. It's fine. It's a it's a really complicated in and I do I had yeah. completely forgotten about uh that last scene twist. Mm-hmm. Uh so that was basically an all new twist for me. Um <laughs> That's so, that's that's I sometimes I want, wish I could go back and watch things for the first time and you truly did. I, I, I really did. Uh, but like that uh, monkey paw really is coming to use for the for watching this one movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, and now I've forgotten what I was going to say. Oh, I'm uh, so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to derail you. It'll come to me while we're talking about the Legend of Billie Jean. Um, oh, just the the yeah. The, I I really appreciate how sympathetic this film is to norman in a decade where where horror films were not yeah. and this the, and i can get in this this is definitely a horror film not an elevated horror film or anything they hired <laughs> horror people to make it oh yeah horror writer horror directors the and gore really, in this movie yeah. um yeah. my note is i don't think this movie understands how knives work but i don't care <laughs> but uh well i mean that goes back to halloween how do you pin someone to a wall using <laughs> Anyway, uh, but that it's it's the movie is very sympathetic toward Norman and and our understanding of of mental health had come along even in the eight by the eighties compared to the sixties had come a long way it's come a much mm-hmm. further way since then uh, so the movie and the viewer is on Norman's side yeah but it's also you know this is you know eighty two so slasher tropes are pretty well established now. So the idea that you're also kind of rooting for the killer, even if he's a reform killer, to just shut these people up. You, I mean, you uh, want to see like violence. You, you want to see, like, you're rooting for Norman to stay normal, but you kind of want him for Norman. Normal is is psycho. Well, is and killing. it gives you but characters it, that are really, so extreme. Yeah. And when he really breaks, it's like this weird mix of satisfying and heartbreaking yeah i think because we were so on his side and he was so close and he maybe would have succeeded if you know these people just hadn't been harassing him and it reminded me a lot of uh like true crime podcasts now where they they make the podcast sort of about the amateur sleuth and it inspires these thousands of people to develop these uh, theories about someone who may be totally innocent, but you've got mobs and mobs of mm-hmm. internet, you know, amateur detectives coming at you and deciding that they understand your body language or you did something weird in your past, so you're guilty. And uh, they don't really think of the subjects or the suspects in these things as human beings yeah. uh, who didn't ask for internet fame. And it reminded me a, a bit about that, of just like, just leave Norman alone. Yeah. Also, uh, I don't know whose great idea it was to be like, well, Norman, I think you're cured. Welcome back to this happy little house. 
uh, and this happy little motel. Uh, you're on your own. <laughs> the scene of the crime. I, As I your doctor, a... I'll come visit because I like you, but yeah. they're not paying me to. I did. I did appreciate the the swipe, and I can't remember what state. Uh, California, takes. isn't it? Is it California? Yeah. So then it, the swipe sort of at like the Reagan era yep. when he was governor and he cut all the budget for all of the, the you know, psychiatric hospitals, yep. mental health. And and uh, to this day, they're still. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that I didn't even think about that. But that is absolutely really, really astute because that was a like we are. You're right. We are still dealing with fallout from that decision of that administration. And it yeah. is horrific. Yeah. I also just I would love to know what it's like to have Robert Loggia as your therapist. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, for uh, the results are hard to gauge because it seems yeah. like if Norman had come out and there was no Mary, he might have been fine. Although maybe, maybe. not because Mrs. Spool was still there. So I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, just uh, yeah. I also appreciated how like. Even the characters that that you think in a movie like this would not have any sympathy for Norman, like the sheriff mm-hmm. uh, and the guy that yeah. runs the diner and stuff, everyone's relatively like they're willing to they're not dicks to, to go on and help Norman. Either they weren't there, they don't remember, or or yeah, they're like you know the cop. It takes a lot, and in fact, in the end. Uh, the 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 police don't quite get it right but yeah. they get right the fact that it wasn't norman doing this uh and even apologize to him yeah <laughs> so. that's true the something i like is that and i think this is whether this was in the script or if this was so it's script is by tom holland obviously of fright night fame and many other things um directed by richard Frank, franklin who had done patrick we never hear those phone calls we don't know if norman is actually making this up or hearing something or if Lila is prank calling him that whole time, we don't know. Right. Am I, am I right about that? That that's correct. Yeah. And I think that's great. Cause we, for all we know, he, he might've been making up some of that, that some of those calls, some of them, we know, I think they do some tracing, but not all of them. I don't know. It's yeah. It's, it's uh it definitely and that's why i think if it had been maybe a little less going on you could really sit with yeah. those questions and be like hmm what was actually going on you know um again i overall though i'm fine with it like i can say it's it's maybe a little too hard to follow and would have been a little more hard hitting had it, it been streamlined or 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 whatever, like less dense, mm-hmm. but like, I'm, I'm not going to complain about it because overall, yeah, there's all the themes of, of mental health and restorative justice and, and, um, uh, child abuse. And yeah. if, if you, if you, uh, load a gun and, and cock, cock the whatever thing that you do on guns, cause I don't know guns <laughs> and then you just leave it there. It eventually might go off. And, and th- those women treated, uh, Norman, like, he was the weapon and they treated him carelessly and then it went off and i don't care that they died good i'm glad he killed them did either of you watch bates motel (laughs) i watched some of it but i honestly i couldn't get into it season one is a little bit of a challenge um season one there like there's a really bad choice of a rape subplot that does not need to be there uh once you kind of get past that and that's sort of out of the way that show i think is still to me one of the like best just 
I'm not going to say it's the greatest show of all time, but there are, I think um, Vera Farmiga gives one of the greatest performances of all time as Norma. I think Freddie Highmore, something he does really well that sort of, I think, is very much something Anthony Perkins does in this movie. He makes it so you really are lifted and fall when he makes progress and then flips back that uh, he he does that where like he really pulls you into where like you're rooting for him and you want him to get better. And then when he kind of says something or makes a decision that you realize, oh no, oh no, he's back to seeing things differently. It's so heartbreaking. So I would recommend, like, I, especially if you're, if this universe is, is a um, something you're interested in, I would always recommend somebody watch it and they just have to kind of power through season one. But uh, yeah, that's just my take on that one. Yeah, I think I did a, I watched the first episode and I I have a, a thing about screaming and arguing in movies, not like screaming mm. out of fear, but just people like bickering and yelling sure. at each other. And it, and I recall there being a lot of that and that it's like, you know, Norman's mom is great in small doses as a corpse in his head. <laughs> uh, but it was maybe going to push my sort of this, you know, thing I have just about. Yelling volume, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> so, but it's been. I, I always keep thinking. I was like, maybe I should give this another go. Yep. Uh, but you know, I'm also. It's on the list with maybe I should give American Horror Story another go because I didn't get I very would... far okay. into that either. And that I'm only tempted at because they did a season in New York recently, and I hear Klaus Nomi is a character in it. But uh, anyway. you know, life is short. <laughs> There's only so much time for things. I personally would say. Maybe the time doesn't need to be spent on American Horror Story. You know what? I got this far without it. <laughs> so. Whereas I would say Psycho, Psycho 3 is actually kind of a mess, but it's a kind of fun mess if memory yeah. serves. Can well, we all? Oh, yes. My memory of Psycho 3 was that it was, it was Psycho, Psycho 2. 2. <laughs> Again, it has more Jeff Fahey fairly nude. So yeah. there's that. Yeah. Um, I also... The other thing going back, now that I... You know, that basically the first three psychos are, are also mixed in my head uh, having having rewatched this so soon after uh having watched the the short series uh documentary series queer for fear mm-hmm. uh and sort of watching it uh knowing what i didn't know back the first time around that anthony perkins was a, a closeted or semi-closeted gay man uh and that's so much of dealing with with that uh, when you're in the public, you know, uh, I informs so much of, of what he does with Norman. And I think he's he's really good to great as Norman in, in the original Psycho. Uh, but because he has so much, I think that the script spends so much more time with him in Psycho 2, uh, what Anthony Perkins does is just so good. It's like he's sympathetic, but there's always this edge where where his tone of voice or his word choice or the expression on his face is just n- not quite right the whole scene where he's making a sandwich and a glass of milk for Meg Tilly is yeah is technically so innocent but it's so uncomfortable oh, you are uh, so right there is something so and, awkward yeah. about the way he is just putting yeah. peanut butter on bread yeah and i and i think tony perkins just having to 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 live a double life in, in his real life so long really gives him uh 
you know, the ability to bring so much more depth uh, just in, in, in the way that he'll, you know, smile awkwardly when he yeah. shouldn't or has a facial tick when you think all, you know, everything is going great. Um, it's, it's an excellent point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, because the, the kind of like sexuality of Norman or, or lack thereof, the relationship yeah. during the handyman scenes, Norman's a little bit ripped. In the can we okay not to be superficial can Anthony we say Perkins how good he looks so hot he yeah. looks no, 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 no. this is not this is not up for discussion yeah. Anthony Perkins <laughs> is one of the hottest men that have ever lived also mm-hmm. I believe he maybe was more bisexual than gay yeah. but yeah. we can say queer I just bisexual representation Woo. yeah definitely um so he's so hot and so weird and he is just absolutely on display in the best possible way in this movie his complexion looks amazing his skin in this movie i'm like he was in a mental hospital for 22 years i didn't check to figure out do the math and figure out how old anthony perkins actually was but he looked great you know they must have kept him hydrated in that institution yeah Yeah, he's out of the sun he's not getting those uv no one was wearing screen. 70s and 80s so like he was spared that right but he was like tan like he just he looked really really good mm-hmm. so what do we think the kind of sexuality of norman is like did you get a, con- a connection with mary or not like was did it feel like there was that there was a love interest or or not like just in general i think it's interesting that th- there is no real like uh the movie doesn't seem to make a point on it like they always seem very platonic immediately and part of that might be him even as norman treating this woman as i don't want to scare you because you you know that i did kill women before but you know i'm here you can be in my house it's fine i'm really not not a sexual threat to you um i'm wondering do you think that's intentional as norman intentional as anthony perkins intentional as psycho in general i don't know what you guys think i think it's I don't think it's intentional on Norman or even or even Anthony Perkins thing, but I do think it's intentional that that Psycho Two the movie is leading you on. Mm. Uh, it's structuring these things, which if you strip away, you know everything else, it's nothing happens. Nothing was ever going to happen. They really were. It's just like, I mean, you know, she's. A con artist, but desperate in her own way. But it, it's a guy who's desperate for some sense of stability, uh, who's terrified of being alone in in this murder house that the the state dumped him back into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the film really manipulates, in a good way, uh, our reaction to to what's going on between the two of them. And it also helps that I agree, Anthony Perkins. Uh, was a very handsome man when he was young. He's perhaps in his way even more handsome yeah. as he hits middle age uh, and puts on some years. And and Meg Tilly is uh, absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. also. Uh, and has this sort of, of just her acting style is just sort of natural and, and disarming uh which is used, I think, to great effect when you when you realize what she's actually up to. Yeah. Uh, shout out to both the Tilly sisters. Oh, what a, the best. What a, and I think it's also interesting from what I heard that uh, Anthony Perkins and, and Meg Tilly just 
hated working with each other. Yeah, the trivia I saw was yeah. that basically so, she didn't know Psycho, so she didn't realize yeah. like what she was kind of walking into. And like from the, at least from like the different quarters of the internet, it was like she didn't realize that Anthony Perkins was was more than just her co-star; that he was kind of an icon in this way, and he didn't appreciate not being appreciated. So it seems like he was kind of a dick to her. Um, well, but yeah, and it's interesting because I mean, you know, the the trajectory of Anthony Perkins' career is right. It was, I mean, I don't want to say it was over after Psycho, yeah. but he struggled after Psycho, yeah. and he spent decades in in. France or maybe not decades we spent a long time in France where I learned he recorded a couple albums um, which are interesting not bad but you don't really need to rush out I mean we all need that phase of our lives where we go to France Um, and become a recording artist so if you I mean so if you're someone if you're young and you grew up the way Meg Tilly did where it's like they weren't allowed to watch TV they're uh, there's no reason you would know Psycho, and there's no reason you would know that Anthony Perkins had done this iconic role. And she's kind of on the rise, then, you know, right. up until she had uh, the big chill, I think was right before this. So I understand. And I never wish anyone a shitty time sure. making a movie or, or to come away from it feeling like uh, – or, you know, having actually been abused on set, like mentally. But I think there is something in sort of the maybe the antagonistic relationship that the two of them had off screen uh, that further informs just the the really weird uh, off putting in the best way vibe that exists between the two characters. Yeah, there's a chemistry that isn't like anything else between them. Yeah. Christine, where do you fall on the kind of where does Norman, uh, I guess Norman and Mary romance or not romance or or whatnot? Um, I don't know that it's like uh, I don't know if Norman is like classically sexual, mm-hmm. like just period. Yeah. I mean, because that was how it was with with Marion and the first one. Like there was almost this like covetous uh, nature to his fascination, like did he want her or did he want to be her? Did Mm -hmm. he, what did he admire her freedom in her youth or did uh, the possibility she was beautiful, like a bird. Did he just want to keep her? And I think a lot of that can just be applied to Meg Tilly in this movie. And I think there's a a bit of codependence to, to, to their relationship, his kind of need to care and and be cared for by uh, a feminine aspect, uh, I think is, is very, is very present. Um, but yeah, I think it, it was physical. I, I don't know that that means it was romantic, but it was it, it was physical. They touched. They mm-hmm. were they were physically close, and I think that that indicates uh, a level of intimacy. Mm-hmm. So I think they had a relationship, but I don't know that it was like like sexual or like pa- like passionate in that way. But it was definitely there, and I and it was sad, you know, that it couldn't be. Re- real or 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 helpful or cathartic because i think in a, in a different situation where she wasn't in league with her mother uh it could have been like it could have been like a, a, a not necessarily a healthy relationship but like a healthy ish relationship sure. for the two of them a beneficial like you know yes, um, good for both of them it, mentally yeah and i mean it, she he has resources she needs a place to stay like if it had just started and ended with with the story that she presented i think that it would have been a really interesting relationship but kind of knowing that she was putting herself 
in his presence for a different reason yeah. kind of changes yeah. where she was coming from. Yeah. He also is is a man who goes into uh, a mental institute at a pretty young age. I don't know how old Norman was inside. Yeah, for and sure. 22 years just hanging out. Once again, Robert Loggia. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, like, this is, you know, under the circumstances, maybe the best he can do. And there is one, like, moment that I thought was really great when uh, he introduces Meg Tilly's character to Robert Loggia. And, like, she comes down from the house, and Norman just sort of wants to usher her forward to introduce her. Uh, but he, like, grips her arm in this yeah. really weird, like, like obvious, like, too strong he, he sort of way. He doesn't know how to touch a woman or, or a yeah, person. Yeah, that's somewhere between threatening and just, yeah, yeah he has no idea what, he, what he's doing. Uh, it, and, and it goes like back to what you said about the sandwich, like, that there's something yeah. about his his physicality, the way he stands up straight, the way he touches things is just different from mm. a, a a typical man that we would think of in that situation. Yeah. Um, can, I, can I mention my other favorite character aside from uh, Dennis Franz in this movie? The uh, the cof- the hotel concierge who ends up being really important because he comes back at the very end of the movie to also sort of um, uh, help with Norman's story because he's, he's heard the conversation so he knows that these women were trying to fuck with Norman. But I just love that scene where, like, it's in the police station and he's just looking around and you're like, what's going on with this guy? Like, what, something's going to – and he's just like, can I get coffee? Everybody has coffee but me. <laughs> it's, I don't know why that scene made me so happy. But yeah. again, like you're saying, it's just this random, like, touch of humor and decisions in a scene that didn't yeah. need that. That really helps this movie along the Yeah, way. I think there's a lot of – and I, I mean, this is, you know – Richard Franklin is director, Tom Holland is writer, the cast. Like, there's a lot of those throwaway details that I think really, like, this is a film that could have felt really artificial or or whatever, but I think it it gives it a really sort of grounded, realistic world, you know, relatively speaking. Uh, And it's, yeah, all these weird little bits and pieces. Yeah. It's that this town would would make sense for the town being the town that like produced Norman that this is the town he's back to like yeah these things are just a little off here yeah. just a little you know um so do we all agree best case scenario for a psycho sequel is psycho 2 oh yeah yeah i think especially having read a, a bit about what robert block's idea for psycho 2 well he wrote and he wrote Right, that there is a novel. Apparently, I looked. I was trying to see if I could find it. It's like ninety bucks in paperback on Amazon because it hasn't yeah, been published for thirty little, years, I think. Yeah, I was a little surprised. There's no ebook version yeah. or or anything because you know Robert Block's a big deal and and like he's had a lot of stuff republished through Hard Case Crime and and through all these other publishers that go back and and are finding all these yeah. old. Stories. I wonder if it's a weird rights uh, issue. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but yeah, I had read that some completely unrelated third person whose name I I can't recall had decided that he had the rights to write a sequel to Psycho as long as he didn't call it Psycho. <laughs> and so then Robert Block was like, nah, my guy, no, and wrote his sequel to Psycho, which is was also like half a sequel to Psycho and half 
just a, a cranky critique of slasher films at which, the time. Which and sounds having read, readable sounds very, or like, interesting, if nothing else. Yeah, it's like, I mean, there was, again, and I, like you, Emily, I tried to find it and I couldn't. The summary is there seems to be a lot of rape in Block Psycho oh, 2 going on. Uh, and then, yeah, and then that comes out and the studio reacts to Robert Block's <laughs> Psycho 2 the same way Robert Block reacted to this other guy's <laughs> further adventures of Norman Bates. But a little bit of what was in the book Psycho 2 makes it into the movie. It was the same sort of premise. Obviously, okay. there's you can't have much of a Psycho 2 without Norman, Norman getting, out of, getting released. Yeah, out of the hospital. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, I would love to get a copy and read it because yeah. the people who have read it said it's bonkers, uh, but Robert Block's a good writer, so it's still a pretty a pretty thrilling story, even if it's a bit uh, wacky. Yeah. Well, Bates Motel yeah, has Psycho. ended. There's, I feel like in another five years we'll get some form of, of Psycho revisit, so maybe that's going to be the time. Psycho babies. Psycho babies. Oh, <laughs> Now, now it's all cute, right? Aw. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, do we have more? Any more to say about Psycho Two? No. If no. you haven't given it a chance, yeah. because you you think rightfully Psycho is a masterpiece, and what can they possibly do with it? I'd say give it a chance. Yeah. You might be surprised. Christine, how about you? Yeah, basically just that. It's it's very good, I think, for what it is in the time period. It's reflective of the time period in a really interesting way. Um, and yeah, there's no such thing as sacred cows. It's totally. all up for grabs. So don't not don't don't stop engaging with media because you think other media is precious because that seems weird and also i mean think of everything if if you don't like it think of everything as fan fiction right something was out there and it inspired people and they said hey let's make another one and it doesn't undo anything that happened in psycho if you are adamant that norman norma bates was norman bates's mother in your world she still can be but it doesn't yeah so yeah, give it a go. It's I I really like it. I just think it's twisty and fun and also entertaining. Like it, this is a, it's fairly long. It's about an hour 50. It to me is entertaining the whole way through. I'm never bored. I'm always surprised. Uh mm-hmm. so I firm endorsement from all three of us to varying levels, I guess. Yeah. Right. yeah, definitely. Good, good. Agreed. All right, so let us all take a break. Uh, We are going to go take off our uh, rather scratchy gray bun wigs and that, you know, kind of house dress that just doesn't do much for our figures. We're going (laughs) to get a haircut, uh, preferably something short, maybe go blonde, and come back and talk about the legend of Billie Jean. Now one of America's best-known actors who created his first Broadway role in Look Homeward Angel and starred in such Broadway shows as Star Spangled Girl, Equus, and Romantic Comedy. But he only appeared once in a musical, and that was in 1959 in Frank Lesser's Green Willow. And you know what? He sang a song that became a hit. From Green Willow, Anthony Perkins. Never, 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 never
never, never, never. We've returned to talk about the legend of Billie Jean, 1985. Uh, I believe I said this on Facebook, I confess. I had never seen this movie. (gasps) I didn't know that. Yeah. Nope, never. Wow. I now how did you both like you watch this a lot growing up kind of thing? No, I thought you were the one who had a nostalgia thing with it cuz I hadn't seen it I didn't see it until maybe like I don't know 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like I saw it the first time as an adult probably because there was a bit of time where it was making the the rounds yep, our internet like in rounds. The, the, yeah. Yeah, like in the cult. I think Gentleman's circles. Guide had covered it. Like I think it was like just conversations abounding about this movie that I yeah. even then I was like I should try to look that up. I've never seen it and I just never got around to it. It was yeah, me. It was, it was all me. It was Keith. <laughs> and it, it was thing. never it was never oh. something that was around when I was uh younger. Same. Which was which is strange. Yeah, it's interesting considering our age and the year this came out and what it's about that we were never really around it but keith you you were you when you were younger Keith, was this like another cable fixture so yeah it was another cable thing i didn't see it as much as i did other films i mean it was not beastmaster or conan barbarian nothing nothing was as uh ubiquitous as Uh, beastmaster in the 80s and 90s yes but you know so i saw it a few times in the 80s and remembered enjoying it quite a lot it would always come on like it was either on in the afternoon because uh, it's it's despite some skimpy costumes from time to time, it, it's relatively innocent. Yeah, this is a PG thirteen. Uh, yeah, um, but it would also come on like sort of really really late at night, mm. like even after like after HBO and Cinemax had gotten their dirty movies out of their system. <laughs> For the so night, you watch one movie. dirty movie and you're like, "Ooh, what's coming on next? What's coming on next?" And then it's this one. You're like, "Oh." That's okay. really But I, I hadn't honestly, I hadn't seen it probably since sometime in the '80s. I don't think I, I rewatched it in college. Uh, so really, it was what I remembered about it was Pat Benatar's Invincible. Sure. Uh, I mean, the soundtrack to this movie is amazing. Yeah. Um. Uh, Helen Slater's haircut. Yep, iconic. And body glove. <sighs> mm, yeah. Okay. And and that and that young kids were wronged by horrible adults. Yes, which is and only I, half, which is actually only half correct. It, so. Well, it, but I think that is what watching it because I again I had never seen it before. And I did a little, I didn't really do much research, but I just did like a couple of like, re, like quick re- reading re- reviews of when this movie came out. And it's one of those movies that you're like, this is a movie that sh- was, should not have been screened for critics because the critics for this movie were teenagers. This was a movie yeah. made for about, and like with the soul of teens and kids and is it great to adults? No. Is it narratively complex? Does it, like skip details and so I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. It's not. But like, it feels like this, um, like taps into the soul of a young person in, in a way that's very poetic, I guess. Yeah. It's very much, even, even as an adult, I would say with, with nostalgic ties to it, but not, not the, the same, like, you know, strength of ties that I have for some other films. Uh, now that I'm an old man, uh, 
it's one I I don't think so much I would review in terms of this is the plot, this is the acting. Right. It's one I review in terms of like even at my age, uh, after I watch it, I just like want to go like run down the street <laughs> with my fist in the air. Yep. And you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, there, there's something very like physically like you know, kind of feel like the hair on your, your arm standing up a little yeah. bit in some of these. And part of that's the music, which is, goes yeah. a long way in this movie. Yeah. But and it it's, is. It's inspiring. It's, yeah. And we can get into this a bit more, but it's really, it's a, it's a film and a lot of movies in the eighties did this, uh, that operates really well just on the level of pure emotion. Yeah. As, uh, uh as the kids say today, it's a vibe. It is definitely a uh-huh. vibe. So why don't, again, for those who have not seen it, um, we'll spoil, but there's not really much of a plot I, yeah. to spoil. Christine, you are our expert resident plot giver. Tell us what happens in The Legend of Billie Jean. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, Legend of Billie Jean takes place in Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi, Texas, which I believe is uh, important to the framing of the story. Mm-hmm. Um Helen Slater and Christian Slater are siblings. Uh, Helen Slater is Billy, the titular Billie Jean. They're siblings. They are poor. They live in a trailer park. Um, and uh, they're just doing their thing, living their life. And um, some assholes uh, sexually assholes. assault. Yeah, yeah really, uh, Billie Jean and steal uh, Christian Slater's uh, motorbike, I guess, motorcycle, scooter. whatever you would call that. Scooter, yeah. He, They steal, steal his scooter, and he's, like, super pissed off about it, which I get because he's poor, and he doesn't yeah. have a lot of stuff. And, and, you know, items mean a lot when you don't have a lot of them. So he decides to go and get his scooter back, and he gets the shit kicked uh-huh. out of him, and the scooter is ruined. Um, so uh, since Billie Jean is the light of justice in our dark world she <laughs> decides to go to the boy's father because she is a little adult and she says this is the estimate to get it fixed i would like you to give me the 600 dollars to fix this scooter because your stupid son broke it ruined it it's his fault he's the inciting incident so the father um tries to rape her mm-hmm. and it turns into this whole fantastic thing where there's guns and shooting and a lot of a lot of accidents but honestly a lot of stuff brought on themselves oh, this totally. terrible man yep so um he ends up getting shot by christian slater you know by accident he lies and says the gun isn't loaded so what are you gonna do if someone tells you Gun's not loaded. Yeah, yeah. She's gonna start pressing the trigger, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I don't so, even think he shot. I think it like went off in his hand, kind of thing, right? For real, he was yeah. he he just had it in his hand, and it did go off, and it, and and the dude got struck in the shoulder, and um, from there. Billie Jean and her brother go on the run with um, a couple of her friends, one of them being Yearly Smith. Yes! Um, which <laughs> Butter! Icon, icon. Um, they go on the run, and um, what happens after that is like a mini revolution. It's uh, kids really get behind her strife and and not being listened to. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, to me, there's multiple levels of like, there is just the, we are the youth and you are not hearing us. And then yep. also, like, we are young women and you do not see us yep. kind of thing. So there's a couple levels to that. But it becomes like a revolution. And there's this uh, this Joan of Arc allegory kind of going on, which I think works really well, even though it's not in the forefront for most of it. And uh, fair is fair. Justice is served. <laughs> fair is fair. Boom. Fair is fair. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, they become celebrities. There's a lot about whether they are in control of their celebrity, if you will, Uh, since the person benefiting most from it is the asshole who got shot, who is now selling uh, merchandise of Billie Jean and doing quite well for himself. Which, all of it, so good. And I wish this, um, this movie was more popular, again, because why can't I buy all of those shirts so like, long as the money can't... was going to billy jean and not to the asshole <laughs> yeah well, obviously right but the, those those trucker Mr. hats Pyatt. are just ripe for the for the recreation and i guess there's just not a huge market it's kind of it, crazy which... that there hasn't even though this movie again it's popular i think in the hearts of, of certain people but mm-hmm. this is just so rife for a remake because now you have the internet now you have like, I mean, and I, as I say this, there are probably movies that are telling the same story that I'm not thinking of, because um, they don't have to be named after Billie Jean. They don't have to be based off that, because it's the idea itself is so natural of like, oh, right, somebody does something, they're on the run, and through, like, in this movie, it's just a couple of TV ads or TV news reports, but it would be, like, social media would spread this like like crazy, you know? I mean, come on, yeah. kids, get on it. No, I, I, have, I have a lot of really good ideas for... Uh for a remake a requel i think that there's if this if this happened in corpus christi in 85 in this world someone could find out about that and and then do it for their own injustice Mm -hmm. and it it would just be you could easily transplant this into modern times and it would spread even faster so you'd have like a a, like a potentially like a global ben her like what is it? No. Uh, I'm Spartacus. I am, Spartacus. I am Billie Jean. Yeah. Spartacus. I don't know why I wanted to say Ben-Hur. Uh, they, so there's this like, analogy. like a global Spartacus kind of thing. I think it's totally redoable. You're completely right, Emily. I think I think it's funny that you even brought that up because it really struck me when I was watching that. I was like, we could redo this now and do some really interesting things. Totally. Yeah, I. it's funny. I had the same thought. Like I, I was taken aback uh, very pleasantly by how relevant it yep. still is and yeah it's it's you know she circulates a vhs tape rather than uh you know a, it shares a TikTok, a TikTok video yeah. or an instagram reel mm-hmm. but it's it's you know just spiritually it's the same thing and Completely. it sort of has the same effect of sort of like how you're thinking about how there's all these podcasts that will accuse people of crimes that are, are not guilty of them and send this mob after the flip side of that is things like social media serving uh, like the Arab Spring, and right. and and bringing sort of justice all of these the these horrifying videos of abuse at the hands of police or at the hands of just yeah. some random crazy person who decides that they don't like something that someone is doing. Uh, and yeah, it's the technology is different, but the the sentiment and the spirit of it was still the same. And so. that you would have kids doing it or young people. I'm just gonna say young yeah, people, yeah. where they would know everything about this and every kid of that generation would and their parents would be like what are you talking about uh, what um I, that there's almost something I, like the divide is almost bigger in that sense even though parents have the same access to things it's still like there are so many universes now where this content exists between communities that we don't even know is a thing mm-hmm. um yeah it's, it's powerful in its own way yeah i love how one step behind all the adults are yes. in this Yes. Uh, and it's how I mean I so I work with college mm-hmm. kids. I work at a college, therefore college kids. And I have student employees. And 
uh, yeah, it's always, I'm like, huh, <laughs> I had no idea. What does no that acronym idea. mean? Can you write that out for me? Uh, yeah. And it's in this movie in particular, it's always like my, my takeaway lesson from this above all others. And there, I think there's, there's a lot of messages in this movie that are, that are really good is, uh, older generation, which is now me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. Uh, don't be shitty to the young people. Yeah. Cause they because, are fucking powerful. Yeah. Because like they're right about a lot of things yep. uh, and they have a right to be clumsy about it, about mm-hmm. how they, they fight for these things. Cause they're young. So like cut them some slack and realize like they may have a point <laughs> so. and appreciate the passion. I think that's something that yeah. really bothers me about when I hear people our age and older um, complain about, Gen Z and millennials, but particular Gen Z, of this how angry they get when um, about issue about quote unquote issues that like aren't issues. But I mean, no, like no, they are. First of all, they are issues. Second of all, they're issues to this to this generation, and the fact that these people are so passionate about it and often incredibly intelligent about it. What does it say about you that you just don't understand it? That, that that's on you, not on them for for being so different. And I don't know. It's to me like it's very the, the next generation is very exciting. I have a lot of faith in that they are going to make the world better than we did. Um, but I think that is something this movie really does kind of nail. Like it it gets that these are just uh, their kids. Um, they are just kids. I love that Billie Jean is not amazing she i mean she is brave she is smart she is responsible but the scene where like the little boys like or the the little kids find her and they're like oh we have a friend who's being abused by his dad come save him and the way helen slater plays that scene where she's like oh yeah look at all these kids they love me this is great and then she walks into the house and she is suddenly 16 years old and she's walking in and you see it on her face of like what the fuck am i doing i don't know what i'm doing here um, it, it is, but yet, of course, she, she does make a difference, and it, by doing very little, but just because she has become a symbol that's more powerful than her, it's, I don't know, it's, it's exciting. Like, I, I was, this movie made me feel good. Yeah, yeah, I, like, like, the, the, the kids in it make bad decisions from time to time, but they're very much the bad decisions you can imagine yeah. a 15-year-old or yeah. a 17-year-old, 18-year-old making. Uh, and the trajectory that they they take the people on is very believable. That the scene you just mentioned, Emily, reminded me when I was watching it. So when I was a, a scrappy young punk rocker, uh, there were all of these what I thought of as sort of the older generation of punk rockers that we'd mm. look up to, uh, and so you trusted their opinion on things, on on politics, on social issues, on on all of this stuff. Yeah, on and then when I got older, I'm like, I realized like I was 16. That person I thought of as like this adult guiding light was like 19. <laughs> <laughs> like polystyrene when she was was she was like 15 years old when she started a band. Uh, but yeah, I thought it, I thought it was uh, much like you. I felt very good at the end of this movie. Um, yeah, Christine, where do you stand on the youth of America and all other places? 
<laughs> well, this is technically the youth of the past. Fair. So, so I mean, I, I do, I think, I think the youth of the past really, really had some good ideas. Um, no, I, I think obviously that um, I, it's a great movie. It, it feels like it knew who who it was for yeah that's a very good point if that if that makes sense like and i and you know what movie i kept thinking about during it and it's ironic i guess is is night of the comet Mm -hmm. Uh, it really feels like they were made for the same person with that real like lived in uh, this is what I like. I wasn't a, t- a teen teen girl in in the eighties, obviously, because I wasn't old enough. But um, there's just something authentic about it that I feel like some modern stuff maybe doesn't get. It's the or energy that, somehow. Yeah, the director was that... forty when he made this. He was he wasn't a spring chicken. But the director of the the whose name I can't pull for Night of the Comet is the same thing. But yeah, he, taught, he there's interviews I've read where he talked a lot with his daughter. Yeah, I believe about it. And and also you know when you have young people on set, you should really engage them and see how your dialogue is coming out of their mouths and how they feel with what you're trying to get them to do. Because I think that's where you get a lot of authenticity. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if someone dug out an article and said, yeah, the on on set, Helen Slater just suggested to change this to this or something. I yeah. wouldn't, I would not disbelieve that because like there is a real authenticity and a real, there's, there's something innocent, but yet also like really kind of grimy about it. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I have to assume it's representative of those times because it's representative of our times too. Like, mm. The world is harsh and awful, but these are also still just kids. So there is this level of like yearly constantly eating candy oh, and I love wanting it. to just she's she is truly the the, the child of the situation, even though they're all they have to only be like a couple years apart. Um, but she encapsulates that like innocence. she would be me even today. That would yeah. be me. I'd be Dennis Franz and Psycho Two and Yardley Smith and <laughs> Legend of Billy Jean. Yeah. Look, and there's it's, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. True, true. It really, like, that actually, her eating candy reminded me of uh, the scene in Attack the Block where yeah. where Doctor Who uh, sees Finn's bedroom. Yep. Uh, and I don't know, different characters. But, uh, and she's like, do you have a little brother? That. And he's like, no, that's my bedroom. Right. I'm a she's kid. Like, oh. This kid's fifteen. Yeah, he's a <laughs> Which fucking is good because kid. Because you forget, and then also there's yeah. the whole thing about how how I'll say white Americans, even though they're British, but how white people see young black people as right. much older than they are. But I thought with Billie Jean, it's it's maybe not a completely realistic version of what the world is, but it's very much an authentic version. Of how when you're that age, and I was not a teenage girl in the 80s, but I was a teenager in the 80s. But it's very much a, a correct representation of how you see the world, mm-hmm. uh, which is like everything matters. Uh, yeah. Everything is an opera. Christine, when you said that, that the loss of the, of the scooter is it means so much to him, I had the same thought that it's like when you don't have a lot, yeah. losing a little means a lot. Mm-hmm. And when you're a teenager – Things that that you look back on as adults and and laugh at how trivial they were, uh, 
but they're not when you're when you're a teenager they mean a lot and if they mean a lot to you then they mean a lot uh, and i think there's there's this movie does that really well and there's such a an earnestness and yeah. lack of concern about being seen as sort of corny or mm-hmm. ham-fisted or anything which also is something like when you're a teenager it's you know even an introverted teenager is a lot of invert introverted teenager you still like your heart is still very much on your sleeve and you react to things very very largely yeah. and i think this movie does captures that really well and there's such an element of of class at play and i think the movie establishes it really well without having i mean there it is very clear what the movie is saying that the, these are kids who are growing up in a, in a trailer park and they know exactly what that means to other people. Mm-hmm. When Billy Jean goes to it's Peter Coyote as the as the kind of like the good guy who's who's not and but and when you're introduced to him and when she says to him like here's where I live like you know exactly like, that's all she has to say for him to kind of say like well okay so you're still you know still do this that there is an immediate clarity to this relationship um that just tells you these our four know exactly how the rest of town and how adults see them and it's also something then that like where billy jean has that strong moral code of like when we steal things we're giving them ious we're gonna pay this back we're all we care about is a scooter because that was taken from us Mm -hmm. um and i just i like i appreciate kind of the simplicity of that and you never really have a concern. I feel like in other movies, there'd be like the one hot-headed character that's, you know, and like you think that they're going that way with Christian Slater, also because it's Christian Slater in 1985. So you're yeah. ready for him to just shoot up the school at any moment. But that it's not like, no, no, no. They're all fair. Like they're all good kids who are a little young, who are in over their heads. Yeah. But they're they're going to be like they're going to be okay. They're not doing anything stupid. They're just yeah. at this point, there's no going back and you agree with them. Like, no, 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 don't, don't you turn that in until you get that check. Yeah. Yeah. There's the great scene where they, they, they break into a rich person's house. Yes. And oh, it, we it, didn't even talk about, we Keith have Gordon. to Keith Gordon. Yeah. Oh. And, and it's, it's, so I grew up, I haven't been to Corpus Christi, but I feel like it's very similar to where I grew up, which is a very, it's either a very big small town or very small big town. Mm, okay. Uh, so I, I grew up in like like a town of four hundred, but right next to it is another town of four hundred, another town of four hundred, and you know until it all you basically become one big town. It was the same thing. It's like you knew who came from trailer parks, you knew who came from, yeah, you know who lived had a house down on on the river where the rich right. people live. So when they break into this house. And it is really like stepping into another world for them, like to see like, and it's not even, I mean, it's not like a billionaire's mansion. It's small town, rich. Uh, But it has a pool. Actually, it has a slide to the pool, which is pretty damn cool. And one of my favorite lines when when Yardley Smith is like, when you're this rich, you eat food that doesn't taste like what it is. (laughs) Yes. That's a paraphrase. Uh, And then, yeah, and shout out to this film to, to, uh, introduce a, a shut-in movie weirdo yes who is a good guy yeah. <laughs> bad actor i mean within the movie yeah. he's a bad actor but yeah. but yes yeah, so a nice presence and if i had seen this as a kid i would have had such a crush on him 
Yeah. Keith, Keith Gordon is the ultimate uh, 80s heartthrob for me. <laughs> um, I had to add that on at the end because I know that that's not probably true <laughs> for other people. Um, and I will say that I was on a podcast with him and didn't realize <gasps> it until about eight months uh, later. Oh, my God. So <laughs> I'm glad, though, because I probably wouldn't yeah. have been a person that could speak words. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, my uh, note for him, my note for Hubie, the, the, the shitty rich kid that smashed up the the scooter is how is Hubie not Bill Paxton? Mm, yeah, uh, and and then my note for Keith it was his character was Louis I think. Uh, how is Louis not John Cusack? Because uh, oh. they both gave me those vibes. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, Keith Gordon is I, what I love is there's a how do I say this in a way? So um, Billy Jean is kind of presented like the ultimate sex symbol which is really interesting because of her youth and also the fact that she's on on the slender side and then when she cuts her hair that's obviously like rebuking the the classic feminine um so i think it's really fun that the boy that she ends up gravitating towards is a weirdo he's like (laughs) he's weird and kind of awkward Mm -hmm. and nerdy and like really into nerdy stuff and i just thought that was such a wholesome really great choice that she rebukes classic masculinity as well yeah and and i thought that that was so beautiful and also while i'm talking about it dean stockwell is keith gordon's dad yes and i said huh that's great casting because they both have an undeniable sexual charisma. <laughs> <laughs> it is inherited, I've heard. And I is, love Dean Stockwell. It's, <laughs> it's a little bit like Anthony Perkins. Like Dean Stockwell plays mm. it straight in this movie. Yeah. But he comes with all of the baggage of being yeah. Dean Stockwell. So like I'm maybe seeing a weirdness in him that isn't there. Uh, but it's still there. So it's also totally believable that this rich, you know, was he district attorney or something? Like, yeah, has, something kind of weird, for, like has like kind of a weird streak in him that then, uh, you know, makes it believable that he'd have, you know, a, a son who well, whose I... reaction to a bunch of people breaking into his house <laughs> is, to, give is them cake. to stage an entire like wolfman scene. <laughs> That does take work. And even their relationship gets a little time, which is interesting that like Dean Stockwell kind of says like, yeah, like I, I don't really understand my son. And Louis says the same, like, well, my dad, he's not going to pay the ransom or like he will. Like, I know he's, I know you're not going to hurt me. My dad doesn't know that. And my dad might not care, but maybe he'll care enough because it's going to be on camera. Like, but that they, and then Dean Stockwell kind of proves himself not to be a hero, but like a responsible Man at the end, especially compared to Pyatt, who is still like, I'm not giving this yeah. bitch money. Whereas Dean was like, I'll write, I'll write the check. Like, like this yeah. is what's right here. That there is different, as much as like this could have been done like Peanut style, where the adults are all kind of r- ridiculous caricatures. That Dean Stockwell's character isn't a villain. He's just an adult who is so clearly on a different page than not just the teenagers of this movie, but his own son. And there's something, like, there's a complexity in relationship there that you don't have to have in a movie like this that I appreciate. Yeah, they spend some time on, the adults are, are clearly, they're antagonists without always being villains. Again, except yeah. for Pyatt, who is just... Just the worst. Spirit. Yeah, he's just the worst. And was giving me real, like, Cameron Mitchell mm, sort of vibe. Yeah, yeah. But, like, for a film like this, you don't have to 
develop any of the adults. No. You let them be sort of cartoon characters. But it spends time with with Peter Coyote's police officer and yeah, and with Dean Stockwell. And it's they're never it's like they're struggling to understand and they're struggling to be on the side of, of the kids uh Peter Coyote a little bit more than Dean Stockwell. But sure. they never but they're still they just they're also just a little too set in their ways and thinking we're the adults we're right this is how it should be we get it kids you're mad but you really need to do things the way we say and they can never quite break from that but yeah i thought i thought with those two characters in particular and there's even from time to time you know like the random when they're doing sort of the the man and woman on the street interviews uh where you there are are a fair number of people in their 20s and, and 30s even it looks like although it was the 80s people who were in their everybody 30s, looked 50 they could have been they could have been 16 it's true nobody uh, was drinking water yeah. <laughs> except for anthony perkins yeah see and we know how that turned out it looked great <laughs> yeah uh, and i did love this where they have like the the dj who is initially against billy jean yep and who but then sort of becomes you know, like like for the warriors, right? The sort yeah, of voice, the the radio that, that rallies people. Yeah, the uh, sort of narrative that the, builds around it that everybody starts listening to and, and play and yeah. paying attention to. Or the like the TV reporter that interviews the young girl on the yep. in the mall after uh, one of of several very satisfying knees to the balls. So the many knees to the groin. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and she's she's just like I'm sick of being a young woman and no one ever listens to us. No one believes us. We're tired of these, you know, some eggs always put us down. And then guys like, Oh, well there's the woman's point of view. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And I think that's the other, like the other really powerful uh, aspect of this film. Again, at a time when, when uh, sort of, you know, movies about women's empowerment or especially young women's empowerment were, um, I don't want to say on the decline. I don't have enough of a of a full sort of picture mm-hmm. of the time to say, but uh, I mean, it's definitely very much on the side of young women, uh, not you know standing, you know, not not putting up with being victims or manipulated by uh, not just the 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 scumbags of the world like Pyatt, who I'm sure was friends with Dennis Franz. <laughs> oh, they definitely <laughs> drank like Natty Ice together. Yeah. Oh, uh, but even, even the well-meaning, but sort of patronizing older men, yeah. uh, like Peter like Coyote. Coyote yeah. 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 This apparently did was kind of, was a box office bomb. Um, and probably makes sense. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, critics hated it. Of course they did. They didn't get it. And I think, oh man, I don't know enough about the history. There's a really good podcast I recommend called This Ends at Prom that focuses oh, yeah. on, and yeah, Christine, you've, I'm sure you're a fan. It's BJ yeah. uh, Colangelo. And they focus on like movies that are were made for or about teenage girls. And there is like a certain point in time, I forget what it is, like, but there's like a movie or two you can point to of like when things flipped, when studios decided, oh, we have to stop making movies about girls and like this might have been one of those movies that sort of tipped it that way of like oh it was this was supposed to be like an anthem movie girls didn't like it uh boys aren't going to go see a movie about a girl so we'll stop doing that um 
but it is a shame because it feels like I don't know the kind of movie like you would have wanted to be a hit because I would have wanted ripoffs like this could have been a fun For like real, little subgenre right? to have and I'm sure there's a few more that we could pull our brains out and find but not nearly enough yeah no it, I mean it really does remind me of Night of the Comet in that yeah, way definitely uh, I mean, I'm I'm glad I saw it. I I wonder if I had seen it younger, where I would fall. I I don't know. There's like certain ages I think are right to watch this movie, and I think like probably being like under thirteen. But then after that, it might have not. It felt like a little corny to me. And then in my twenties, I might not have like been charmed by it. I don't know. So I feel like it might. Like also like I watched it like right when I got older. Like I watched it like right around my birthday. So I was already feeling old, and it made me feel like okay, this is a movie that doesn't make me feel old because it's, you know, the teenagers are from the 80s. There's that whole aspect. But also it feels like a movie about, um, like, the power of youth and also how how idiotic it is to be an adult and to not respect teenagers and, and the youth. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I don't know that age is a real deterrent here because I think for most of us, hopefully, we can still kind of remember what those yeah. feelings felt like you know not feeling heard not feeling yep. autonomous as a, as a, as a youth and i think this really successfully taps into all of that and for me at least i could get back to those feelings pretty yeah. quick and cuz yeah. i didn't like i didn't see it for the first time until i was probably late 20s early 30s and and like it it i still got like kind of teared up there's yeah. parts of this that are really affecting and like really timeless like Mm-hmm. I, Helen Slater is younger, but I mean, she is still like a fully formed woman. And yeah. I, I know what being treated the way she got treated like yeah. feels like, and it sucks. And and I think that that's one of the strengths of it, it being able to play to a younger audience, but also not feeling alienating when you watch it as an adult. It's, Absolutely. I think it's, a, it strikes a really great balance. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, now, do we, how do we all think we would look with the Billie Jean haircut? Oh, awful, right? I, know, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I, just... I fully support the haircut. Uh, on you or on Billie Jean? On anyone. Mm. Uh, anyone <laughs> and you everyone. say that, but until no, I see I... you doing it, I'm, I'm not, not going down that route. Yeah, I've had, I've tried different haircuts throughout my life. During Once I moved away, went to college, you know, and I could cut my hair however I wanted. Without Take that, mom. On me. There were some decisions, you know. Uh, but in the end, it's I've basically had the same haircut since I first decided not to have the '70s bowl cut anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's the worst decision you've ever made. Yeah. Bring back but the I, bowl. It was so great. Like sort of the flip side of, of how Pyatt kind of uh, markets his the anti-ness against him, which is like something that people do still today. Uh, When you realize someone hates you, you're like, well, I'm going to make anti-me merchandise and get off of these people. Uh, But the flip side of that is, is like all of the people who rush out to get like the the Billie Jean haircuts and they set up at like, like at the malls and the state fairs and and these rallies and things, they have whole stations where uh, all these people are coming and just getting her haircut. Uh, and my two my two favorite hero moment, moments for all of this, and for as good as Helen Slater is at, at carrying this movie on her shoulders, it's still it's kind of an ensemble cast. Yeah, everybody's awesome. great in it. And the scene, 
where Yearly Smith gets out of the cop car and everyone knows that she's, you know, one yeah. of the putter. They all cheering yeah. for her, and so like she raises the double fist in the air. Yep. I was like, you go, Lisa Simpson. That's yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I really wish Yearly Smith. I like again, kind of like Anthony Perkins. Like, uh, I she was such a a great young actor. Yeah. And just and then just kind of got derailed by you know having Lisa Simpson's voice. I don't even know if it's fully that or Uh, how much of that is that um, Yardley Smith is just just, like she, her, I mean, she has a really particular unique physical appearance that is (laughs) not something most directors ever cast for. Um, I saw, she did a one woman show about at this point, 20 years ago that I saw. And it was her talking basically about like, her frustrations at, with fame and how yeah. she, like, she grew up wanting to be, and she, I, I wish I could remember, because at the time I hadn't seen Billie Jean, so, but I know she talked a lot about the beginning of her career and constantly being in movies with, like, the Helen Slater type and being mm-hmm. so mad that she wasn't that. Yeah. Um, and that All for right, her, I'm... it was such a frustration, but that like, and like she's, and she's had a complicated relationship with Lisa Simpson for that reason of like, yeah, I'm yeah. successful. I'm, I'm a millionaire probably by this point, but also I never got to wear the pretty dress. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what? I'm, um, thank you. I'm going to retract my Lisa Simpson statement. <laughs> and yeah, so she, in that she reminds me a lot of, uh, Martha Plimpton yes. who around this same time, yep was in movies that was like the legend of natty gan uh these sort of girls martha, adventure movies martha plimpton is not uh, natty gan no who's no. natty gan that's on meredith salinger oh meredith so. but but martha uh, but plimpton she did was romance, in many, yeah. but she does she does romance uh river phoenix right in mosquito coast maybe does she yeah. Uh, but I also but I also felt like another and she's Goonies, right? She's Goonies, she's parenthood, she's yeah. Like another another great young actress who didn't you know, look like an eighties right. icon who I think uh her career suffered mm-hmm. for. until she reached a certain age and then kind of found yeah. more character yeah. roles and you know, and directors who grew up like loving her were finally like, I'm gonna make a role for Martha Plimpton. So Yeah. Your your time is still out there, Yardley. We'll get it. <laughs> yeah, but no, she's great. Like, uh, and yeah, like her, her eating. Ca- my favorite, like, these are actually just kids scenes. Yeah, is, yeah. her like being so concerned about candy, <laughs> or or like when they were like when they're hiding out at an abandoned mini golf course, but and she like wants to take the golf balls with her. Yep. it's just a weird thing that a kid would do. Yeah, uh, and then and Christian Slater, who who we haven't talked about a lot but when he his plan is he dreams of going to vermont is yes. uh, like that's his promised land and that's so for their whole like career as outlaws he's like well let's just go to vermont nobody will find like, us our there. car won't make it out of texas let alone vermont <laughs> right but and then he's like he has the line he's like what would we do in vermont we don't have any money and he's like we don't need it we could eat like plants and leaves yeah. and things and drink snow <laughs> and that's and i remember like i my childhood was pretty decent, but like, you know, every young teenager at some point, I think you, you entertain the idea of running away. Sure. Uh, and I think, yeah, my plans were about as good as his. <laughs> like, Oh, there's these, those cliffs. I'll just build like yeah. this fantastic Swiss family Robinson, uh, 
treehouse, you know, out in the woods and live off the land. Gilligan's Island made us all think we were much more resilient than we ever would be in a real situation. (laughs) I know the coconut radio. How hard can we have the coconut radio? They did it in the 60s all the time. How hard can it be? Exactly. Yeah. So should we talk a little about uh, baby Christian Slater? Baby Christian Slater. Uh, He's adorable in this movie with his bleached hair. What's what's amazing to me is how unchristian Slater he is. Yeah. Like, like he's just a kid, a decent, like maybe a little bit more talent than the average, you know, like kid actor in an '80s sort of teen movie. Uh, but really, just not. And it's only what, like three years uh, between this and and Heather's, where he emerges as in that one movie, just fully formed. Christian Slater, the Christian Slater he's been ever since. Uh, but he's so just sort of charming and innocent and cute in this film. Uh, and that Even Honda, he's a kid, yeah. He's a kid, like like a belief, like especially again in the '80s when it was so common uh, for any number of reasons to cast you know people in their 20s and even mm-hmm. 30s. I say in the '80s, but like <laughs> like they have Steve McQueen playing a teenager in the blob uh but like to to really get like a legitimately young cast that yeah. are more or less the ages that they're that they're playing uh and then to to sort of luck out and get you know someone as good as christian slater someone as good as as yardley smith um someone as good as helen slater right before her turn as supergirl, supergirl. yeah and later supergirl's mom uh Ooh. but uh yeah, I thought Christian Slater was was fun in this. Yeah, it, it's neat to see him, like, and you un- you can kind of see like what we would see of him a little later of that kind of like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like there's a madness to most Christian Slater roles, right? There is yeah. this always this sense, and this is why, I, and part of this is because most like most people, Heather's was probably the first thing I saw him in. That there is always that feeling that at any given point he is going to go fucking crazy on you, yeah. And you, I think I bring some of that that when I see him in a movie. So I'm watching him in this, and even though the performance doesn't go there, I'm waiting for him to be the wild card. Yeah. Um, but there is just like you, I love when you watch a movie with actors before they were famous, and like you see like yeah, they're going to be a star. Like you kind of yeah. can see that little, like there's something about the way their, their face catches the camera, the way they, 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 they just have a way of delivering lines that connects yeah. better than somebody else. And I was like that. Yeah. But the, I, the unpredictableness of, of yeah. sort of what Christian Slater would become really serves the role also because with, like when you're a 15, 16 year old, uh, yeah, you know you are a wild card that's, that's just yeah like you never like i remember so many times just cruising along being super happy and then just out of nowhere just something you know turns your your mood because you're going through so much biologically and, and you and throw both. a milkshake at the bully yeah <laughs> uh so yeah it's really i think kind of like he really captured that just kind of pent up like yeah. Especially if you're growing up with not a lot of money, yeah. not a lot of resources, of just this sort of directionless chip on your shoulder, anger, yeah, and 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 yeah, dissatisfaction, uh, and and nowhere, and really no way to sort of 
channel it. Uh, yeah. yeah, and so you throw a milkshake yeah. into, and that kid, I mean, he deserved it. He deserved the milkshake yeah. and and the the knee to the ball. Yeah, knee to the ball, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. It well, I you know, having suggested this movie with only vague memories of it, uh, I gotta say I I was so pleased with how much. Uh, I still love it. Like maybe even more than than when I was younger, uh, and not just because of the theme song, which I guess is the last thing to mention. <laughs> yes. uh, Pat Benatar's Invincible is. I can't even really just say Pat Benatar is invincible without already I'm like kind of wanting to stand up mm-hmm. and like pump my fist in the air. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is a fantastic, fantastic uh, theme song. Uh, written by a woman named Holly Knight, or co-written by her. Um, And she wrote, not just Invincible, but Love is a Battlefield. Nice. uh, The Warrior. Yeah. uh, And then uh, for Tina Turner, Better Be Good to Me and One of the Living. Um, So I had said this, I was like, man, someone messed with this lady's heart (laughs) at some point. And she has been like, I would like to thank that someone who fucked their heart because like, it produced some is, damn good music. Yeah, just that string of of songs is like Jim Steinman levels yeah. of achievement in bombastic rock anthems. Nice, yeah, good stuff. Christine, how was this rewatch? Because I'm guessing it had been what, like ten years since your last yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, it had been a while. Um, uh, I think I remembered most of the beats. Um, but yeah, it did. There were parts of it that did feel like kind of watching it for the first time, like the 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 smaller moments and like the emotional resonance. Mm. I kind of forgot how I would potentially connect with it, yeah. and like I I enjoyed it quite a bit. But but again, what you said, I think there's room for stuff like this again now yeah. more stuff like this it made me think of assassination nation too still haven't seen that we should cover yeah we need to cover that's me in part why i haven't seen it because i remember thinking like oh i think we might cover this one day yeah it, it just these, these stories of younger people and what it actually means to be a younger person yeah. you know not just like them as as set pieces or like ways to drive the plot but really stories about about not being heard, listened to, or respected in, in your youth. And I think there's there's a place for it now because we're doing just that with like, you know, taking books out of libraries, not listening to what kids yeah. want, ruining the environment when we're not going to be here and kids are going to... So like there's... there's This is this exists now still. Yeah. It's still a problem. But I can't name a movie where where they're they're addressing it like they do here yeah yeah and I if you know that, of that movie send, send yeah me the we're link. all blanking but yeah. i feel like they're out there yeah i think that that we're we have been for a long time now in an era of such cynicism in entertainment and to some degree that's justified and and that can produce a lot of great cinema but you get movies like these in the in the 80s especially where uh they they lack any sort of guile. They lack mm-hmm. any sort of, of cynicism. Uh, they're completely sort of earnest yeah. and they're willing to be hyper emotional. Um, and we just, we don't do that a lot anymore. I mean, you in like in legend, Billy Jean, like you really believe that people really believe. Yeah. Uh, and I know the, the most recent things I can think of that had any like tapped into that sort of just, raw sort of 
you know, don't give a damn about seeming silly emotion was like, I like the bridge scene in the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man uh, <laughs> or, you know, where it's just it's just like we don't care. Like we're going to go on full corny hero. Everyone's in this like teaming up together. Um, and, I you know, it's it's kind of it's my generation, you know, Gen X making movies and, and TV shows now. And uh, it's weird that we grew up loving this sort of earnest, uh, hard on the sleeve entertainment, but we don't necessarily make, make it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, but I, like I said, I work with Gen Z a lot of a lot, of, and I like I think those kids are awesome. Uh, yeah. And I think when when they've they've gotten into you know the level where they're they're going to sort of you know have control of entertainment or come into it. Uh, I'm really interested to see, to see what they do. Uh, yep. Cause yeah, we're really, I'd like to blame it all on the boomers. Uh, but you know, Gen X, it, you know, Ted Cruz is Gen X. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is Gen X. So we ain't doing great. Nope. Um, <laughs> and they're calling him out on it, which or, is good. Or we, or we all, we all felt too cool, yeah. you know, to sort of step in, into these roles. So, uh, yeah, I always try, and I'm I'm thankful, like selfishly thankful, that as I get older, I'm not doing that thing where you drift more conservative. Uh, if anything, I'm going the opposite direction. So, uh, yeah, Gen Z, um, <laughs> save us, 80s, save us all. The '80s were a retro trend, although you didn't bring back just casually wearing body glove. Um, not yet, not yet. Look, look into it. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to yeah. what you do. Because uh, we didn't quite get it right. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, big recommendation for me for my first time. I just, I had Ooh. a great time with it. It, it. Again, it like, it made me feel things. I just, I felt good. Mm. I felt like cheering at the screen. I smiled a lot. Um, there's, there's a lot here for everybody. It is currently, I rented it on Amazon. Uh, I don't know if there's a, I think there's a release of it out there. I don't know if it's got special features or anything, but. Oh, uh, I own is it a? Uh, uh, is it loaded? It's the special fair as fair edition. Yeah, and and that it has commentary. Nice. Does it come with instructions on how to get the haircut? And it, uh, sadly, no. Damn it. Uh, but yeah, so it's a fairly bare bones okay. release. But also, I mean, I don't. I remember it costing me like eight dollars. So right. I'll, I'll keep my eye on for it. Uh, yeah. All right. So big recommend. Uh, thank you for recommending it because now I got to watch it. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, good times. My pleasure. And now, I want to say, and I don't know how you guys feel about praise on your own podcast. Oh, boy. Uh, but one, it was super fun. Thank you oh. again. Oh, thanks. Me on. Uh, but for both of you, and I say this from time to time on through Twitter comment, but it's good to say while we're all talking, uh, the perspective that both of you bring uh, to to thinking about and talking about and writing about movies and the, the kind of the uh, way that you get me, especially because uh, I'm the me that knows me, uh, thinking about movies in a different way or thinking about something that I hadn't or correcting thinking. Like, Christine, when you said uh, Anthony Perkins, bisexual, not homosexual, that's an important thing to know that matters. So I really, really, really appreciate everything that, that the two of you do. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I think you're both two of the smartest, most oh. insightful, Aww. 
Well, thanks. People out there working, so keep doing what you're doing. Aww. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I well, I really appreciate that. I feel the same about Emily. I think she's I say, no, an icon and better. a legend. Um, <laughs> but Keith, same for you. Um, what you tweet about in the movies that you're watching and what you're looking into always makes me look weird things up and sometimes <laughs> add weird things to yeah. my queue. And and I appreciate that because sometimes we can get into a feedback loop of like everyone mm. talking about the same seven uh-huh. things and then it switches to a new seven things. But it's nice to maybe. <laughs> but we get an eighth hear... when Keith mentions something. Yeah, to hear something else, you know, yeah. it's, it's cool to have different perspectives so that we're not all just like in an echo chamber, you yeah. know. And I feel like I've learned things from Keith. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think again, we're talking about perspective, but you, you have such a an interesting ex- area of expertise, um, and I I think you also share it really well. I think you are also a, a wonderful writer and speaker. Uh, and let's make sure that people know where to find your your writing because you have a book. You have one book out or two books out. Uh, one. Okay. Uh, the second book it will absolutely definitely be finished by twenty twenty one. <laughs> oh, that that's a, a great date. Yeah, 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 I got that in my my calendar too. Yeah. Uh, well, for thank you. Uh, it means a lot. <laughs> I always try. There was uh, I was reading. Uh, the poet Langston Hughes has these two autobiographies that he wrote, which are fantastic. Uh, they're basically just adventure and travel novels because his life Fun. was insane. Uh, but he was describing uh, someone else, and he says uh, a gentleman who was always happy to help others appreciate the things he had learned to appreciate. So for me, it's always, it's like, uh, nothing's worse than gatekeeping, man. I Mm -hmm. hate it. Uh, like, so always, like I always want to try to be welcoming people in. Uh, but yeah, so the book still cocktails and capers, uh, it's by the Keith Allison that wrote cocktails and capers, not the Keith Allison that writes books on holistic horse care. (laughs) Oh shit! I got a lot of stuff to return. (laughs) I did grow up on a horse farm, so I can help you. The two of you need to collaborate. Let me just say yeah. that. Keith Allison Squared, Cocktails for Horses. Yeah, and someday I'll finish the sequel. Uh, I have the title, and I designed a nice cover. All I got to do is write the contents. Um, <laughs> That's the easy part. And then I have a, a, a website called Suburban Pagans, which is sort of taking over slowly from uh, my original website, a thing called Teleport City, which... This year celebrates its 25th Whoa. anniversary. We've had websites for 25 years? Uh, believe it or not. Holy believe it or have. not. Um, yeah, and so that's uh, suburban, suburbanpagans.com, or there's a Substack. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm still on there. Don't message me on Facebook. That's I'm not on there anymore. Uh yeah, uh, give your, give your handle. Don't your message handle. me on Facebook. <laughs> and so, and for me, it's don't message me on Instagram because I never remember where messages are. I'll remember So that. for me, you can message me on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, Keith, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, BondVivant1. There's an underscore in there, isn't there? I possibly. Eh, all right, I'll I'll go to Twitter and copy and paste it. Yeah. <laughs> Christine. Um, yeah, it's BondVivant1. All right. Just so you know, <laughs> for future reference. Thank you. Just, just write me a letter. <laughs> Mail it to Bon Vivant yeah. One. Trust me, it'll get a, there. Send, send a raven. Yes. Uh, and Christine, of course, you have books. You have stories. Anything new to, to tell people about? You've always got new um, stuff out there. 
you can follow me on Twitter at xteen underscore makepeace. Um, I have a short story uh, coming out on the internet tomorrow Yay. that I'm really proud of and really excited about. It's uh, it's with a great publisher, and if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that come by. Um, I also am a semi-finalist for a second time with my short screenplay. Um, so I am working on my feature, and one day you'll be like, Hey, I really hate Christine's movie. I'm gonna go dig back through her old podcast to try to see her saying something fucked up so that I can be mad at her. And you know what? Welcome to you, friend. <laughs> Timestamp this that. day. Good luck with that. I hope it works out. <laughs> and if you if you haven't bought the sound of breaking glass, yes, it. it's fantastic. Well, it's so good. Thank you. I do oh, appreciate so that. Yes, Emily, what do you got? Um, I'm the lazy one that does not have books. Um, I have a blog still, you know, for the people that like Blogspot. Woo! I got one. It's still there. <laughs> DeadlyDollsHouse.com or DeadlyDollsHouse.blogspot.com. Either link works because that's how high tech I am in 2023. Uh, yeah, I still write about horror movies for the most part. Occasionally books. I started writing about books because that's fun. So That is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what a, what a wonderful trio we are. Uh, everybody, you can find us on Instagram at feminine, I think, underscore critique, underscore pod. Uh, Twitter at Feminine Podcast and on Facebook Feminine Critique. Look at me hip with the socials like a cool cat. You did it. That's right. I am the Billy Jean of no. I'm the let's. I know I'm the putter of 2023. <laughs> uh, I guess Keith would be the Christian Slater and Christine your Billy Jean. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. We got, I'll take it. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad. I'm glad we're all agreed. Uh, with that being said, uh, everybody, um, fair is fair, and keep that in mind. Fair is fair. Goodbye.